This is episode 82 of the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I'm Carly Cade, and today I'm speaking with Sarah Hickner. Sarah makes her author debut with Stories from the Barn Isle. Always a storyteller and a bit of an adventurer, she finally decided to write her stories for the world to read. As a child, her favorite books were from the Thoroughbred series, and the books inspired her to leave her home state of Mississippi to gallop racehorses in Kentucky. Sarah is now settled down, which sounds more grown up than she feels, in Virginia with her husband, two kids, a horse, a dog, and a bearded dragon. Now, let's get into the interview. Welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast, a podcast featuring interviews with equestrian authors who love all things horses and writing about them. In each episode, you'll hear inspirational stories from horse book authors, including writing advice and marketing tips to help you write your very own horse book. If you're an author, aspire to be an author, or simply love horse books, then you are in the right place. I'm your host, Carly Cade, and creative writing makes my spurs jingle. Hi everyone, welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I'm Carly Cade, and today I have Sarah Hickner on the show. Welcome, Sarah. Hey, Carly, thanks so much for having me. And we have a additional friend for everyone who's yes. watching us on YouTube. We have Sarah's bearded dragon hanging out with us yeah, today. Yeah, this is Spike. Let me see if I can get him to turn around and say hi. <laughs> he, he really likes to just sit on my shoulder. So whenever I pull him off, he's like, what's going on? This is her work buddy. He keeps <laughs> her company while she's writing her books. And we're going to talk about Sarah's debut a collection of short stories, stories from the barn aisle. But before we get into talking about all the good stuff, like writing about horses in your book, I always love to ask my guests, how did your love affair with horses begin, Sarah? I was born completely obsessed. My dad was a businessman. My mom was a teacher. I'm from Mississippi and I know everyone thinks in Mississippi that we all have like no shoes and we live on farms, but I actually grew up in a neighborhood. So I just, for as long as I can remember remembering, have been totally obsessed with horses and I begged and I begged and I begged. And my dad always thought it was a phase and I never grew out of it. <laughs> so Awesome. Yes. So that, that is it. A very common answer. We all sort of start there and our parents do think it's a phase and it's like just it's in our genes something yeah and then so did you you I know you mentioned that the thoroughbred series was one of your favorite favorite book series when you were a young person yeah. you have the briars and the did you no. run around the yard pretending that you were a horse <laughs> that sort of thing I so I never had the briars my parents were super frugal and so mm. <laughs> like I still look at price tags of everything ever so <laughs> briar was always like out of the question I had like some three dollar plastic horses but mostly it was, you know, I rode my bike and pretended like I was posting and winning and, and all that stuff. And I played horse. I was very into pretending that I was the horse when I was a kid. And, um, and I read a ton. Misty of Chinkatee was probably my favorite. I mm -hmm. countless number of times that I read that. Mm -hmm. So that's a great book. And, yeah. you know, and then, so did you finally end up with riding lessons or having a horse in your life after all this begging and hoping? Yes. And it's the first story in my book is how I finally got like found horses. And it started with, I had a great aunt named Aunt Sadie. And it turned out that her daughter, who was about my parents' age, 
had had a horse and her daughter had moved off to New York. And so the horse, she was old and she lived in a field. And when Aunt Sadie found out that I loved horses, she took me out to meet the old ladies. <laughs> Eventually it, we moved on to getting real riding lessons. Like we realized this is not, <laughs> we don't know what we're doing, no matter how many books I've read. And I need some real training and to ride some younger horses. But that was kind of how it started. And then I got in with a trainer who's kind of like your typical horse trainer, like the car salesman style that, <laughs> I mean, within a few weeks of taking lessons, she was like, I have a horse that Sarah needs to buy. And, and within a few weeks after that, I think I had a horse. I don't know. It, it's all kind of a blur, but she was really good at convincing people and she got us, which I'm very grateful for. So. Wow, that's pretty incredible. Yeah. <laughs> you went from not being able to have a briar horse to actually yeah. having a horse. Now, did you have to like work and save up for the horse? Oh, I worked my butt off. I mean, it was, you know, I, I was in fifth grade when I started riding the old lady horses. And then in sixth grade, I got my first horse. So it was over the course of about a year. And I, my dad, I had older brothers to pave the way who weren't very diligent at school. Mm. And so he had set the precedent. And then I'm like the young, you know, goody two shoes, honestly, that was like, I would do anything for a horse. And so whenever report cards came out, he would give me a hundred dollars for having a good report card because my brothers didn't have good report cards. And he's trying to like dangle the carrot for them. Like, look at what Sarah's getting. So every report card is really the only way I made money. Every report card would get a hundred dollar bill and I would stash it. And so when it finally came about that, like, I, I finally was convincing my parents, I had five or $600 saved up. And the horse was a thousand dollars. So I was like, look, all y'all have to do is pay $400 and we have a horse. And then of course they had to pay board, but board was like super cheap then. Mm. Um, and then I worked for my riding lessons. So my parents always were, as I, it was kind of the same, like all through high school, they, they paid the bare minimum for me, which I appreciated, you know, they paid for board, they paid for shoes. And then if I wanted anything else, I had to work for it. So I worked for my lessons. As soon as I was old enough, I got jobs and I worked so I could go to horse shows and stuff like that. I never went, you know, I eventually moved to Hunter Jumper Barn and they would go to shows for like a week at a time. I've still never done that. I still can't fathom the amount of money that costs because mm -hmm. I've always just been doing horses like on a shoestring budget. But I, I appreciate it, you know, hand-me-down tack. It makes you really appreciate when you can afford your own saddle and stuff. Oh, for sure. And, so. you know, what a huge lesson in responsibility, right? Like, first of all, you had this passion and you convinced your parents to, to help support you. But then you were willing to do the work to be able to sustain having the horses. And I think that is one of the biggest gifts that horses give to a young woman. Like, I, I had the same sort of situation. I was lucky enough to have a horse, but I had to work for that yeah. horse, you know, and it just teaches you all sorts of responsibility and putting something else before yourself and having empathy for it at a young age. And I think that yeah. instills us, uh, you know, in everything that we do as adults. And so now, so you, you got the horse as a kid and now you are still in horses yes. and you have some other fur, furry friends. We've already met your bearded <laughs> dragon. Talk to us a little bit about, about your, your adult horse that you have now. So my horse that, oh my gosh, my bearded dragon's eating my hair. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> he does this sometimes. Okay. So my horse that I have now, his name is Silas and I have had him for 10 years, which is 
mind boggling because the horse I had before him, who you see in the book, I had for nine years and he was my heart horse. Mm. And so Silas, the horse I have now is, it's a weird, I love him. It took him about probably seven years to claim me. You know, when a, a horse, you can tell when they claim their girl and and it took him about seven years. And I think he had a really rough history before I got him. He was on, he was on the track and he, it seems like for, I've reached out to his old trainer and stuff and they loved him. He had a great life on the track, but then the girl who adopted him was apparently adopting racehorses and like abusing them. And some of them literally starved to death under her care. I mean, and I don't understand this. You hear these things. I don't get it. Silas survived. He turned into a horrible cribber. And so he has kind of a bad reputation at our barn. And so he survived that. Then he got adopted again. And then that girl was just having some life issues and she abandoned him at the farm that I ride at. Hmm. And so my poor horse got abandoned twice. And I think that's why it took him so long to accept me because because he just thinks I'm going to leave him. And so now that he's old, I'm like, I can never sell him and I can only afford one horse. So I'm like, try, I'm now like, I have a girl who might be half leasing him so I can possibly afford another horse because Silas is getting older. But yeah, I mean, it's just been a special relationship and also to go from a horse that, you know, some horses are super lovey Mm -hmm. and they hug you and they do silly things and you laugh around them. And Silas has always just been like, let's ride. Let's do this. Okay. We're done. I'm done. And so he has finally gotten started to develop more of a personality. When I first got him, he also would pass. He's very passive aggressive and try to step on my foot and stuff. (laughs) He would just like put his foot down right where my foot was, you know, and you just always had to be aware, but he's just an interesting horse, but that weird personality has been perfect. He's the horse that has welcomed my kids home from the hospital Mm. and that honestly having that personality that's not super lovey and needy was very helpful for me when I was a busy mom of brand new babies and I couldn't come out to the barn and when I did come out to the barn I didn't have time to groom him for two hours and dote on him I just we like we rode and we checked the box and kept going and and so it was actually perfect for both of us I think I really believe like God is like in it and bringing me that horse with a strange personality that was hard to adjust to, but I so appreciate it. And now I've claimed him. We have each other's hearts and he still bucks on trails. And now I laugh instead of getting scared. I'm like, okay, (laughs) I'm glad you still try to buck now that you're 16, whatever. Aw, you know what? That is such a special story. And I do believe that we end up in life with what we need, even Mm -hmm. though it sometimes feels like a little strange, you know, there's this bright spot you know you just have to be open to it and you and you've got that bright spot now you're all you get each other he gave when you're a new mom now you can giggle about his quirky stuff and you know and you know you you gave him something too like you're not leaving him which is really special I love that so you've mentioned your book a couple times I think this is a perfect opportunity to get in there and and I can tell that the stories that are in this book are probably really miraculous because of the stories you just shared with us there. <laughs> but you've just recently added author to your accomplishments. Yeah. Uh, you released your debut book, Stories from the Barn Isle. Tell us about your book and what inspired you to to put this out into the world. Oh gosh, it's a it's a lot. The book Stories from the Barn Isle is five real life stories of my 
I would say misadventures, most of them with horses. And some of my little about the book, I talk about, you know, my not so fairy tale life with horses because, you know, not everything is perfect. And so a lot of the stories are just me looking back at my mis- my mistakes and my- the places that I grew and mo- like really fun moments and hard moments and looking at, at it all now with grace and humor and just finding the the humor and the joy in the situation. And so I'm just going back and retelling and it starts with my very first time riding a horse, like the moment that my dad said, Aunt Sadie wants to take you to see her horse. And I was like, what? <laughs> um, and then it ends with when I'm in college and I had my first day working on the racetrack, mm-hmm. uh, my first and second days working, it was a training track and, you know, experiencing a real racehorse and how different they are when they're on the track than these show horses that I had always been around. So, and it's kind of everything in between. You get to see my horses and you get to see some of my family. And I, I came up with it, honestly, I don't know if it's like that interesting of a story, but I'm working on a memoir. And so in my memoir, and, and I have a writing coach and my writing coach, oh, this is just hope for everybody. I had heard enough of these stories that it didn't break my heart. But my very first meeting with her, she was like, look, I mean, you you have some good writing technique. Some of it's entertaining, but you've got to like totally redo this. <laughs> like you need to restructure this it's kind of boring how you have it structured she said it nicer than this but this is it's boring how you have it structured you need to restructure it so I go back and I start restructuring and rewriting and I realize a lot of things are getting cut Mm. and in the process of that I'm also listening I'm always listening to podcasts to try to educate myself and become a better writer and to learn how to market and all this stuff and so one of the podcasts I listen to he talks a lot about writing short stories to grow your craft. And he's, he's like, you know what, you can write a whole novel and it's going to be hard to find someone to write, read it and to help you through it and to help you fix things. Or you can write a short story and it takes you a few hours. And then you have plenty of people who will read a short story and help you work through it. And so it was kind of a, these things are getting cut and I still want to tell them and I want to grow my craft and write short stories. And I want to practice getting a book out before I, you know, before the memoir comes out, because I really intend to invest money and energy and time and everything into the memoir. And so I wanted to have kind of a practice run. And that's what Stories from the Barn Isle is. And I really thought, which is when we met Carly, I really thought that I was just going to throw it on Amazon and (laughs) just see what happens and kind of, you know, not put too much heart into it, not put too much work or money into it. And the closer I, like, as the stories were wrapping up and I was realizing like, these are good stories. And the more I was learning through listening to podcasts and stuff, I I didn't want to just throw it on Amazon. I wanted to do it right. And so then it, so it became a real book release and it was not just a little ebook on Amazon. It's, it's a real book and, um, you know, cover and ISBN number and everything. <laughs> yes, very proud of you for getting your yeah. numbers. But but what I what I love about what you're saying here is that you you're really looking and at the at the craft. I mean, you have a writing coach that's like incredibly responsible. You're educating yourself by listening to podcasts. You're writing these short stories and then, you know, as you're getting ready to release the book, you're like, "Hang on a second." 
let me do this the right way and really get a taste for this. And, and you did, you've done everything correctly. I mean, you, you educated, you didn't just throw something at the wall and see if it would stick. You did the right thing. You know, you got together with me and we talked about some of the best practices and things that you could do to make sure that this was a real launch, a real release, which is, which is so responsible. Now the podcast that you talked about, uh, short stories, what, what was the name of that in case uh, listeners are interested in checking out writing short stories? It's the novel marketing podcast by Thomas Umstadt Jr. I believe. Okay. And I'll link to that in the show notes because I'm sure people would be interested in that because short stories, it, it's different than a novel. I mean, you have to have the beginning, the middle and the end and structure and have it be compelling and interesting yeah. You know, to and tell a story it quickly. Like so your short stories are how how long are your short stories? They range about fifteen hundred to two thousand words. Mm-hmm. And and I have to say, like I've been shocked that I can write decent short stories because when I read, I'm an avid reader and I tend to read more fantasy books. Um the the YA fantasy genre is like my jam. I could binge nonstop. But when I read even a novella from a fantasy book. I'm like, that was not well developed. <laughs> like, I don't care about these characters. I don't care what happens. And so when I look at the fact that like, I was able to write short stories and, and people care what happens. I'm like, okay, I don't know how I did it, but I'm trying, I'm trying really hard. It's probably because I have 20 people beta reading, like picking every word apart, <laughs> which is I'm grateful for. Well, which is also really smart. You know, you have your writing coach, you have early readers, you know, you, you, again, you've done everything right to, to get this book out into the world. In fact, stories from the barn aisle hit an Amazon number one release slot. And then I think it was like moving around one, two, it keeps hitting them yesterday. It hit number one new release again in the rodeo division or something. Yeah. How does that make you feel? I mean, that's, that's pretty (laughs) phenomenal for your, for your first book. It's, I mean, I feel good. I like it. I like the little orange tags. It uh, gives you a shot of the dopamine or whatever. Every time you see the orange (laughs) tag, you're like, yeah, I'm winning. So I I like that. And I appreciate that Amazon does that. I think I will have to say, you know, author to author, like it's a lot of it, I think is just being smart with Mm. figuring out different divisions of my book. To me, it just means, cause I, it's not, you know, at first it did sell a lot and then it's kind of, it's tapered off. And so when I get an orange tag yesterday, I think, well, dang, no one else is selling books. <laughs> I guess I'm not selling that many to get a number one orange tag. So, you know, just we're, I'm now into the long game of yeah. my, of my book marketing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, anyway, but it's, it's fun and I appreciate it. And it's exciting to be able to post it on social media and it gets people excited and makes them want to read it more. I think when they were like, Oh, it hit number one. So tip for authors, figure out all your book divisions and stuff. Cause you know, I think I, you can do nine or 10 or something. Mm -hmm. I did all of them. And, and your keywords, keywords are important as well. Yeah. You have a bunch of early reviews on there. I mean, Mm -hmm. you came out of the gate with a bunch of reviews people who bought those, you hit this, you know, Amazon slot. Did you do anything special? Yeah. This book, how are you reaching your readers? Like, how are you engaging with people around, around your release? So I did two things. They kind of worked together. I thought of, I tried to stick with mostly horse people, Mm -hmm. um, but all of the, my horse friends that I could think of. And then I also reached out to some people on Instagram 
to and made a launch team and I my goal was to have 25 people in the launch team and so I did have a few people that aren't horse people because I did work really hard to create a book that anyone could read Mm -hmm. that it wasn't just like all horse lingo that a non-horse people person wouldn't understand it so you you built a launch team I built a launch team and there were about 25 people on it and it was mostly friends and then a few I've worked to build my Instagram I can't that's like a whole other thing but I built Instagram and and so the launch team first they were my early readers they got my arc I emailed them and just was like please don't sell this or or steal this or whatever you know don't put it on illegal book sites but I so I they all got the arc and and I was like hey as soon as this goes live on Amazon please post a review and then also I did an, a big Instagram giveaway thing and I uh, I had friends and I also like I had friends help me and I made graphics and so when the book went live we started posting I had my art team start posting graphics on Instagram and do a get like they were part of a giveaway for helping me mm-hmm. and then they were posting about a giveaway to get the word out and so I just thought you know if 20 people are sharing on Instagram and they have an average of 800 followers, you know, then that's, I don't know, 1600 or 16,000, 16,000 people that might see it. So that was, that was basically my launch strategy. I also, I staggered when I posted on different email, I'm not on my email list on Facebook, on Facebook equestrian groups. I just tried to, to work it all. So it was like, this day I'm going to go public on Facebook. This day I'm going to post in equestrian groups. This day I'm going to email my my Mary Kay customers because I'm a I have a big Mary Kay customer base and just say hey just so you know I wrote a book you know and I try to be very careful with that because they're my Mary Kay customers and mm-hmm. they're not on my book email list but but they're they're my customers you know so I am like you know I can send one email and mention it they see me on Facebook they know it's happening so that was it. And so I just tried to work with that team and make sure we had reviews. And I set a goal right out of the box for 20 reviews. I was like, I want 20 reviews. And I, and I was following up with people, Hey, help me hit 20 reviews. And then now we're at like 21 and my work, my goal is to hit 50. And I actually just posted it in a few arc reader groups to try to hit 50 reviews. So that's brilliant. And, and yeah. I like what you said about the staggering of when you ha- were letting people know about the book, because mm-hmm. that helps your Amazon algorithm rather than selling all the books on one day, you know, they, the algorithm actually likes the staggered selling of books and like the the decline and then the build and then the decline. So that was really smart. That was smart marketing. It's because I read that book you told me to read. (laughs) (laughs) Which is a great book. I would recommend it to everyone. It's called Amazon Decoded by Amazon Decoded. I'll link to that in the show notes, but yeah. Uh, and I'm glad you read the book. It's very helpful, yeah. right? It it was helpful. And it made me realize, I think I'm going to release more than one of these books. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had kind of toyed with the idea when I was making the cover because my first cover I made on Canva mm-hmm. and it automatically said like it just because it was like a basic cover and it said volume one. And I was like, oh, maybe this is volume one. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll do more. And then when I read Amazon Decoded, by the time I got done, I was like, I, I think I'm going to write another one. And then by the time like five people had read my book and requested that I write more, I was like, okay, I will definitely keep going with this. Well, and so. 
equestrian, I'm sure your stories are endless. I mean, we have endless. So many yeah. of experiences with our horses where they're funny or we learn something or they're just part of our lives. Like I felt, I actually fell off our new horse for the first time in 14 years, I've fallen off a horse as an adult. And it was like a whole like eye-opening experience. And I'm thinking, oh, that would be a great short story, you know, because yeah. just little tiny moments like that can be, you know, because I learned something and I, yeah. I definitely learned I don't bounce like I used to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, I was fine. She was fine. She she got spooked at, a, they hung a tarp at the end of this big arena and there were steers behind the tarp that we didn't know. And then our, oh my, my friend's God. dog ran straight down the arena, skidded to a stop in front of the tarp. The steers flew out from behind it. We didn't even know they were there. My horse spun and ran and I was just, I just slipped right off. Like I, oh I was, gosh. I was not even prepared for it. It all happened so fast. But anyway, those are, those are the moments It actually yeah. reminded me of a scene that I wrote about my character Devin and in the rains when she falls off. And I'm like, yeah. yep endless stories for equestrians of weird moments like that so that's awesome I love that you're going to expand this into a series and that people are asking for more that means you're doing a great job and then I wanted to ask you about this too because I thought this was really fantastic because clearly you educated yourself about what it's like to be an author and how to do it right before you released your first book like you Mm -hmm. you 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 built your following you built your list you had your blog you had your website you started a podcast you listen to podcasts, you talked with people. So you made sure you were doing everything right. But I like this. I saw this come through. You worked with Stream Horse TV yeah. on a stories from the Barn Isle Youth Writing Contest. Okay, talk to us about where the idea for this promotion came from and how you developed a relationship with Stream Horse TV. That's monument that's huge for for a new author. So it's Instagram. This is where I was like, Instagram's a whole other thing. I don't know if it's helping me get readers. Honestly, I have no idea. I don't feel like it is, but I am meeting the coolest people. And, Mm. and I have grown my Instagram through doing these like follow trains and stuff. And to be honest, there was like this one weekend where I was like, this is stupid. Like we're all just trying to get followers and no one cares about each other. And no one cares if they like what anyone's posting. We're just following each other to get followers. And literally that weekend, I met two of the coolest people and one of them was, uh, the stream horse TV's mom, like the owner's mom. And she messaged me and said, I think we had gone back and forth because she posted something about faith. Cause she's a, she's a strong Christian. She has like an art business that's equine and faith based. Mm. And so she was like, you should talk, like, you should talk to stream horse TV. I had no idea that it was like his mom. And so so that's how I met Stream Horse TV and like that whole thing. And so I've become a writer and a contributor for their blog. Yeah. And so it's like, we're just kind of working together and growing this thing. And I'm kind of, I'm going to start my Live Ride Learn podcast is going to start gearing towards Live Ride Learn in conjunction with Stream Horse TV. And we're, we have some really cool stuff up the pipeline for that. But that's how Stream Horse TV worked was Instagram. Like I, wow. I actually have a friend who has, she has the number one HGTV show right now mm-hmm. and it all started on Instagram wow. because someone followed her on Instagram and liked her stuff and was like you would make a good show and then that's kind of like year it took years for it to progress but she's now like number one show on HGTV and so I'm just like learning all this and I like avoided Instagram because I like Facebook right mm-hmm. and it's my generation and I finally 
gave into Instagram and I'm meeting such cool people and have true friendships. I mean, we've not met in person, but I feel like we're truly friends and we, you know, can depend on each other and stuff. And so, and we support each other building our accounts and stuff. So that's how Streamhorse TV started. The deal with the writing contest was seriously just, okay, I, I think my book is mostly going to like most of the readers will be young horse riders. Like that's like, yeah, I like to think that 30 somethings are going to pick it up. But I think for the most part, the people who are picking up a book like this is a 12 year old who loves horses. And so uh, I was like, where do I meet 12 year olds that love horses? I meet them at the barn. How do I get into all these barns? I, and so I started thinking, well, I could visit different barns, but COVID has made everything weird. And how can I get to every barn? And then I realized, what if I did a writing contest for horse crazy kids? It goes right along with my book because my book is short stories. And so it can kind of encourage kids to, you know, that like they could, if they like to write like maybe one day they can write their own book of short stories kind of thing. And it maybe can help get them excited about writing. I can help them get prizes. I love winning stuff. When I was a kid, I won, I painted my horse, uh, the Fox five was doing a contest. It was like the news station and you're supposed to write Fox five in a random place and you can win $500. And I painted, I got finger paint and I painted my horse Fox five across his belly. And then I painted his neck Fox five and his bum Fox five and we won $500. And so I, (laughs) I love winning stuff. So I'm like, I can help kids win stuff. And so it just kind of became this whole, like, this is a really fun idea. And it's a great way to get the word out about my book. And you know, because every flyer is, you know, celebrating stories from the Barn Isles release. We're having a writing contest. And so, you know, it's just a great way to get the word out about the book, but also help encourage kids to get out and write some too and create their own stories. That is fantastic. And so, so brilliant. And I I can't, I love, I love that you mentioned that the relationship with Streamhorse came from Instagram. And you mentioned Uh, follow trains tell the listeners yeah. what, a, what a follow train is for because I think you know people are hesitant just like you mm-hmm. about getting onto Instagram I mean it's like there's Instagram there's Snapchat there's Facebook yeah there's, you know, there's, where do you be but you're having a lot of success with Instagram so yeah share with us a little bit about you know how you got over right being resistant to it and then what a follow train is and then like how you kind of educated yourself about connecting with other people for the education part, I talked to people who were successful. Like my sister-in-law is very successful with Instagram. She has like thousands of followers and people send her stuff so that she'll post about it and she makes money and gets freebies, you know? So I'm like, she's successful. So I talked to her and she said, you need to find a, a handful of other accounts that are like you and you can support each other. And so that was kind of where it started was kind of, I started to keep my eye out. And then I followed some random people and they they did these things called follow trains and they'll post a picture and they'll say, you know, you have to follow the host. And so it's a way for the host to get more followers and then comment, you know, I follow back or follow for follow or whatever. And so you comment, I follow back. And then you can go follow all the accounts that have commented and say, Hey, I followed you in the comments. And then they follow you back. And so it's kind of a, I follow you, you follow me. So I'm not, I'm not, I don't have 20,000 followers. I, I can't fathom how people do that at this moment, <laughs> but I have almost 2000 followers and I've met some really great people in the process. 
people that I'm like, Hey, maybe I'll hop on a plane and come visit you. This seems like you seem like a really cool horseman. I have a friend who is a trainer in like Wisconsin or something. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It looks really cold, (laughs) (laughs) but we've become friends and you know, it's just cool to the people that you meet through Instagram. And just really, for me, I started just looking for, because my sister-in-law had said, you know, find your pocket of friends. And so Mm -hmm. I started looking for people who just like what they posted seemed Mm like-minded. And, and so that was, that was kind of, that's how I met people. And that's how I met Stream Horse was because Joanne Pierce, her stuff felt like-minded. It was artistic. It was, it was God focused. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, and a lot of accounts are just people riding their horses and that's great. But like, I don't know, I, let's have a little extra, Mm -hmm. not just someone riding their horse. Like let's, let's see some funny stuff. Let's see, I don't know, something inspirational, just different things. So, Mm -hmm. um, but with building Instagram, you want to also be supportive of other people. So sometimes I just get on and I just scroll and like, you know, just like support them and they'll support you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's what you're talking about is building community and uniting Mm -hmm. with people with a like, with a similar purpose or a similar message or yeah love of horses, you know, then and supporting them, you know, yeah. And I like that. It's like give and take. It's not just what are you gonna do for me? It's like yeah, how can you support each other. That's that's really special. And then how much time are you spending on Instagram? Are you <laughs> able to put it to the side so you can get your writing done and work on other yeah. stuff? Or Instagram is like my least favorite, even though that's what where so much has come from. I think most of us, I, hopefully it's not just me. I have the habit when I pick up my phone, I click on Facebook and I click on Instagram, but I don't get, I don't watch stories. Mm. That's the key. Mm-hmm. If you watch stories, I mean, if I watch stories, I'll be looking at my phone an hour later. Like what mm-hmm. just happened? Where did the hour go? And so I just don't click on stories because then I'm stuck. And I just, I spend maybe five minutes and then I turn it off and go to the next thing. That's brilliant. Yeah. I mean, because that's, that is the, scary thing about social media you can make so many connections there and you can really build these awesome relationships but it's also highly addictive and you can Mm -hmm. get stuck in there so we all have to come up with like our our ways to manage it so we do actually get our writing done and we do get other things done um so I I love I love that I'm I'm similar you know I'll get in there like my community share something spend a little time don't get lost in stories that's a great recommendation you know, and then, and then remind myself to get out, you know, or, yeah. so, so I can get other things done. Yeah. My husband is always like, did you see this in Instagram? And I'm like, no, I don't <laughs> scroll. Like, I don't think you understand. I do not scroll on Instagram. Yeah. I mean, occasionally if I scroll, it is a purposeful scroll to like mm-hmm. things, mm-hmm. to be kind to others. It mm-hmm. is not, I'm not, I don't care that much usually. Cause I'm just, I, there's so much going on in my life right now. I don't have time. Yeah, no, that that's a wise approach. Utilize social media to enable you to move what you're doing forward, your book and yeah. relationships, but don't use it as like an entertainment outlet. Yeah. Know? That's that's smart. Cause it's a tool. It is yeah. you know, that's you know, use it as a tool and get out of there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. Well ta- show us your book and talk to us okay. about your book cover. So my book, Stories from the Barn Isle. Here is the cover. And so the the cover is, it was like harder than picking a wedding dress. Like I am not joking. And it was an evolution. It started with my very first cover. I threw it together on Canva. I had no, 
expectation of it being a cover, but people, everyone who saw it loved it so much that I then felt like this needs to be the cover because I, people were just obsessed with it. And so I, I, I was going to just go with it, even though in my gut, it didn't feel right. And, and then I talked to you and you were like, in, in my gut, it didn't feel right. And you said you should really do some market research. And I was like, oh, okay. And so, and look at comparables. And so I'm looking at comparables. I actually hired someone on Fiverr, I think, to do artwork of the one of the horses that's in the book twice. And the artwork came back and I didn't love it. So mm -hmm. I paid, I was like, you know what? Worst case, I have artwork of my horse. That was my heart horse. And I, so even if I don't love it for the book cover, I'll still have it. And so it came back, didn't love it for the book cover. <laughs> so I, but I was considering going with it anyway. I did some polls, posted on Facebook and I posted in the equestrian book group. And one of the authors, I don't remember who it was, very kindly messaged me and said, look, this, this kind of artwork that you're trying to do doesn't sell books. Mm. She said, I had that kind of artwork and, and when I changed it to this, my books started selling better. And so I, I was like, okay, but I really just personally, I didn't want just like a picture of a horse. Mm -hmm. And another thing that makes it difficult is these are real life stories. Like this isn't a fiction book. So I can't just get a horse that looks kind of like the fictional horse in my book. These are real stories and they all happened before we all had cell phone cameras. And so I don't have a thousand pictures of these horses. I don't have any pictures of the old horses that I first learned to ride on mm. like none. And which blows my mind, but we just, my family was not a big picture taking family. And so we just don't have pictures of this stuff. And so I'm trying to come up with a cover and I don't have any of the actual horses. And, and as I did, I digging through Amazon and the number one book at the time had kind of like drawings of saddles on it. And then Jimmy Wofford has a book coming out that has a similar, it's the cover looks nothing like this, but it's a similar idea of the title with different pictures around it. And then I also had read a Christian rom-com book around the same time that had the similar idea of like the title with different pictures around it that had to do with the story. And I thought, you know what? I should do the title with the pictures around it that have to do with the story. And that way each story could have a picture. And I had kind of felt weird about having myself on the cover, like kind of vain or something. Mm -hmm. uh, even though, I mean, the stories are about me, but it just felt vain. And my friend affirmed me because she said, you know what? I didn't like your covers because when I'm reading these stories, I want to imagine myself in the story. And I loved that because that's every book that I read, I imagine myself as the main character. And so when she said that, I was like, you're right. I want everyone to be able to imagine themselves experiencing this. If this is, if that's how they read a book. And so I got myself out off the cover, which I loved. And each picture represents a story. And it's the kind of stuff that like, when you see the cover, you're like, oh, that's cute. You know, there's a sack of grain, there's carrots, horses like carrots. But once you read the book, every little picture has a funny moment in the story. And so when you go back after you've read the book and you look at it, you, my goal is for you to laugh and go, oh my gosh, it's the jacket. <laughs> and so I thought, you know, I want hand lettering. So I paid a girl to do the hand lettering. And then I did all the artwork and I wanted yellow because I wanted it to be a happy color. To me, the stories are, they give you warm fuzzies and they make you feel happy. And I want the book to make you feel happy. And I wanted it to catch your eye on Amazon. 
Yeah. Yeah. Because we'll all, yeah. All the covers on Amazon, all the horse covers look the same to me. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of them are beautiful, but they look very similar. And I wanted it to be similar enough to not be like, shock people but different enough that it would stand out when you're scrolling through Amazon <laughs> I love it I mean you did your own artwork like for yeah. the stories that's so great and it's perfect I, I I and I saw your other cover that you were considering and I really yeah. like where you wound up and good for you for doing your market research that goes back to educating yourself there is so much to know yeah. as a new author but you you've done the right stuff and look at all the success you're having because you did the the, the work on the back end before you released your book yeah thank you see the back gotta see the back too <laughs> and I this is this is Gideon he is my heart horse and so I had to have him on the, on the cover and it didn't really go with the front so I was like I'm just gonna have him on the back so I drew him and he's on the back and then my author photo is what was originally going to be my book cover. And so my author photo, I put that on the back and it has my horse Silas with his cribbing collar. <laughs> oh, those cribbers. And my, my hound dog Waylon is in there. Oh. And, um, and I got a couple, you know, endorsements on there and mm-hmm. stuff. So very smart. Well, yeah. well done. Well done. I mean, Thank it, you. you've, 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 you set yourself up for success by doing all the work. And I know that you were chomping at the bit to get this thing oh, I was. out there and you really <laughs> wanted to get it out. But like, you know, you, you, you listen to your gut, your gut yeah. said, I don't know, if, you know, I feel like that. And then you got in communication with people and then you did a little more research. And even though, you know, it's sometimes we get so excited to get something out that yeah. we, we leave out some of the important steps, but then we have to go back and fix as independent authors. And it's always yeah. better to try and get everything in the right place before you launch. So you don't have to go yeah. back to anything. Cause now look at what all this magic that's sprinkling up and happening. I definitely, I prayed over this cover. I was like, God, it doesn't feel right. Everyone says I should use this one, but it doesn't feel right. What do I do? And it was just like the poof, like an idea popped up. And another thing I love about this, like love, love, love is that if I do, or when I do stories from the barn aisle volume two, it's going to be so easy to do the next cover. I can just do pictures from those stories and I can do blue or red Mm -hmm. or coral, you know, like I can just do another like bold color, different pictures and like, we're good to go. Yeah. You set yourself up for success with the series, you know, and they'll all have a similar look, feel and theme. And that Mm -hmm. is just perfect. Yeah. Well done. Uh, Thank you. So this is, this is an interesting question. So you have, you know, your mom, you have mm-hmm. animals, you have a horse, you have your own, your Mary Kay business. You, yeah. you know, how, how do you structure your day around your creativity, your marketing? <laughs> like how, how do you, you know, your marketing, how do you get words on the page? Like, what do you do to, to get that done? Okay. So to get words on the page is pretty challenging, but I, I'm just at a point, my, my kids have been doing distance learning. And they're young, they're kindergarten and third grade. And so my life has just, it's just straight up been insane since, uh, since like all the COVID mess. And so I really, I've used a lot of the time management skills that I've learned through Mary Kay. And that basically is making a list. And so I try to have a list of, I need to do this for my Mary Kay business. I need to do this for marketing. I need to do this for my kids. I need to do this for for writing. And I'm like, so for the short stories, it was actually helpful because I could say, 
okay, this week I will have a story finished. Like that is my goal. You know, right now I'm on the memoir. So now it's more like, okay, 5,000 words. Like, and if I have to sit down and just knock, knock them all out in a day, that's what I do. Or, you know, if I can sit down and like sprinkle it in. And a lot of times I'm writing at midnight, like everyone's gone to bed and that's the only time I can sit down by myself and get some stuff done. So finding the time to write is difficult. I'm not a super structured person with my life. I don't, um, like when you look at, I don't know if you've ever studied the core needs, but mine is freedom and flexibility. I need it. If I am too scheduled, I feel trapped, but then at the same time, I'm very achievement oriented. So I have to like knock my things off or else I don't feel like I've achieved anything. So the, the list is the answer for me. It's, um, and then it helps me just feel like, okay, I've done it and I can feel good and I can move on to the next thing. That's brilliant. I mean, to-do lists are, it, especially when you've got so much going on, are it's mm-hmm. fun to cross that stuff off, right? You know, kind of keep tra- and keep track. Like I like I like to think because I'm a big list person too. I've got lists like this long, but I like to think if you get it out of your head and put it on a list, then mm-hmm. it's you're not thinking about it and trying to hang on to it. You know what you have to do, but it's not in your brain anymore, so you can focus on what you need to get done, and then you can cross right. it off, you know, as you as you get to it. So that's, yeah. that's great advice. And then when a little bit later, we'll get into your memoir, because I'm going to ask you like, what's next for you. But you know, so I think a lot of authors are very, will be very interested in in hearing about how you approach writing a short story. I mean, do you have like, do you have like three top tips that you could offer on how to approach writing a short story? Or or how do you think about it? Okay, so first, uh, like, I just think of the story, and I usually let it simmer in my head for a while. Mm-hmm. And, and I, and I'll, sometimes I even like, will type it out on, on, in notes on my phone. And, and then I simmer. And what I find is that the first, the first draft is very much the first draft. And then I'm going to, I have to sit on it. Don't look at it for like three days. And then when I come back later, I'm like, Ooh, we need to work on this. And, but giving it that space gives me more perspective. What I saw, and this was not intentional, but in hindsight, looking back at all my stories, they all had a similar rhythm of, I did something to introduce this, like I did a story within the story. Mm. So my very first story, I talk about the school spelling bee. And, and that was kind of an introduction of giving you a feel of like who I was at the time. And it, and it just gives you like an, a sense of atmosphere. So then when we get into the horse parts, like, you know, who I am and you can feel me. And so you can feel the excitement. And, and I honestly, I don't know where I came up with that, but it, they all have that similar rhythm of like a story within a story. And it's just a little, I don't, just a little piece in the beginning to set that tone so that you all, so that you can feel me and you can connect. And then I also try to have a couple implements within the story that people can literally feel like something that they have felt before themselves. And Mm. so this is where like the bag of carrots, the reason the bag of carrots made the cover was because I talked about in the first story, the carrots banging against my leg when I walked out to the field. Mm. And I felt like that was something that everyone in the world has probably experienced walking with a bag of carrots in it bumping against your leg. And so to me, it's just like little pieces like that, that can bring you really bring the person, somebody into the story. I worked really hard on show, don't tell. I mean, I know that's 
every author does that. But the progression, because when I did the first story, I didn't totally grasp that. My first story took like 20, 20 drafts at least <laughs> as I learned to show, don't tell. But that was big. So I think those would be the tips is like have, I, I think having a little story within the story just kind of helps set the tone and then having a couple implements that every single person in the world can relate to. Like, and for my second one, may, this one is a little generational, but <laughs> it has the swishy jacket because <laughs> the, the main character of the story, really it's, it's a bit character of the story, is my swishy jacket. Because when I was in third grade, we well in elementary school we all had the windsuit jackets where we like matched head to toe and they swished with every step mm -hmm. and literally the swishy jacket spooked my horse <laughs> yes totally and so but it's everyone who's ever who was alive then who had the swishy jacket loves the swishy jacket because we all had one mm -hmm. and we all remember how loud we were walking down the, the hall <laughs> so and, loud yes and so and so bright, like vocally and visually loud. And uh, and so the swishy jacket is something that almost everyone can connect to. And so just uh, like, I try to have something that just really everybody can feel, whether you've ever ridden a horse or not. And it doesn't have to be, it's usually not a horse, actual horse thing, because I realized I, to be honest, once I started riding, like riding, not writing, riding I stopped reading about horses because yeah. I read about horses to give myself the experience but once I had the experience I stopped needing to read it you yeah. know what I mean because I mm -hmm. had it myself and so so when I'm writing I'm really writing for the person who doesn't have a horse mm. who's living vicariously through me because that's how I experience horses until I have my own and I and I'm very passionate for that person who because I I know I was 12 when I got my first horse and I know to a lot of people that sounds young, but to a girl who had wanted horses since the moment she remembered wanting, that was a lifetime. So yeah, so I'm, I'm mostly writing for that person in these books, the that, memoir for other people, but. Yeah, that is lovely. I mean, great tips, but, it, but a really great way to think of it also that sometimes people once they have a horse, they stop reading about horses. So who, who is your audience? That's a, that's yeah. a very interesting way to, to look at that. Uh, yeah. I literally, when I, I started meeting all these horse book authors and I was like, what <laughs> people still write horse books. Like I have not read a horse book since I was like 14. Wow. Like I literally, once I started writing, I barely read a horse book. Cause I, I just stopped reading altogether because I was always at the barn. Yeah. Well, there you go. Cause the horses are very time consuming. Yeah. <laughs> then you add writing about them in there and that's time consuming. And then you're yeah. a mom, you know, like I, I think people's reading habits do change. You know, there are mm -hmm. times in your life where you read a lot and then, you know, you have college where you have to read and then people yeah. take a break and then they come back to it. So that's, that's just an interesting way to look at it. You know, how people are reading about horses and are people, who is our market? Yeah. Me. I've always devoured horse books. I still read them. I always did. So, but it's interesting to see that there's different sides of that. You know, it's like, I'll pick anything up with a horse on it and read it, but some people stop, you know, so that's very interesting. So we, I think through this conversation, people are pretty 
uh, clear that you are an independent author, that you didn't go the traditional yeah. publishing route and you educated yourself and you wanted to have full creative control over your, mm-hmm. your book. What advice would you give to an aspiring author who wants to go the independent route after all of this educating of yourself that you've done? Like what, what tips would you offer a new, a new author who's considering going the same route you did? Uh, educate yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I am super busy. And so I do a lot of, listen to a lot of podcasts. So like your podcast has been helpful. The novel marketing podcast has been super helpful. I also signed up for one of his courses and he does a lot of like videos and stuff. And so I I don't watch the video. I listen. Mm -hmm. So I, while I wash dishes or while I'm driving, I have a podcast going when I ride my horse, I have podcasts going if I'm riding by myself and then really just understanding you know, do it with excellence and do one bite at a time. Like, you know, the big, the whole process is overwhelming. I'm such an achiever. And sometimes I subconsciously judge people for not achieving. And I, and I don't mean to, and I apologize for everybody. And I always end up getting learning, Mm. (laughs) getting educated at some point as to why people are different. And in the process educated me and I thought, well, dang, now I know why so many people have books sitting in a drawer because this was not easy, you Mm -hmm. know? And so I think one of the biggest parts is the, it's hard. It's like pushing out a baby. It's hard to do. (laughs) And you have so much insecurity around it. Like, is this good? Am I just embarrassing myself? Am I putting forth all this money and effort to embarrass myself. And so I now understand why so many people have books in, in a drawer or on their computer hard drive. And so I just recommend like, you know, get your cheerleaders, have a handful of people who believe in you. Don't talk to people who are negative. Like just don't even go there about your book. Don't just a secret. Keep it a secret from mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Only tell people who will cheer for you mm-hmm. and, you know, surround yourself with people. I, I, purposely got people who would tell me what was up. Like you told me to get an ISBN number. I didn't want to get an ISBN number, but you told me. And I was like, oh, fine. <laughs> you know, and I had people who said I need to change stuff in my stories. And, you know, so I did, I listened, I surrounded myself with people who were kind enough and smart enough to correct me. And I listened. Mm. And so that was, I think really you know, if I had just gone with my first drafts on the stories, I would probably have embarrassed myself. Like, so I you know I was, it's the first time in my life, to be honest, that I've wanted people to tell me I'm doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. I was like, tell me what is wrong and I will fix it, please. And I never in my life have I wanted anyone to say I wasn't perfect. So it was a great learning experience. And I love that feeling now of like, tell me what I'm doing wrong. Like, let's, let's do this. I want to get in. I want to get better. Cause that's how we get better. I love that insight. I mean, I think you said some really important things there, which is one, I mean, obviously we've been harping on it the whole time, but educate yourself because mm-hmm. there are ways to do that out there. And thank you for listening to my podcast, but yeah. also you're right. It, the, if you look at the monstrosity that is this thing that is independently publishing a book, not just writing the book, but then independently publishing it in the business side of things, mm-hmm. you will get overwhelmed. And I love how you said, just take it step by step by step. And then, you know, the third thing you said is be open to feedback and work with people who will help you make your creative pursuits better. And yeah. who are supportive, like ignore the naysayers because they're going to be out there because as a creative, you always have to, you have to grow a thick skin and it's hard and it's scary, mm-hmm. 
Yeah. But also, if you, you know, when you believe in this thing, you know, surround yourself with those great people who support you, but also people who will help you make it feel better and mm-hmm. listen to their feedback. So, I mean, those are solid, 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 solid recommendations. Thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. What has been the best part of being a new author? And I imagine part of that is holding that book in your hands after all of this hard work. And then what has been the hardest part about being an author? I think I'm shocked by the amount of support and how excited people are for me, like people who know me. Honestly, I think because I have surrounded myself with people who are releasing books, I felt like everyone's doing it. It didn't feel very special. So when it and I, we kind I kind of messed up my book launch because I didn't know what I was doing, and uh, it it got messy, but it got exciting because I didn't under I didn't understand that my paperback would go live before my pre like when my book was in pre order for the ebook. This was a very <laughs> long book launch, but my mom posted it, y'all. My mom, I Aww. I had no idea how that like the parents generation is shocking to me because. I think in my generation, we're all still kind of competitive and we're also kind of finding our way and we love each other, but then we also have this like, I mean, so many people struggle with insecurity because if you're doing good, it means I'm not doing, you know, we just, that's a struggle, right? But like the parents' generation, they're just proud for everybody. (laughs) And so my mom posted on Facebook and I'm pretty sure half of my sales are her friends. (laughs) Like, (laughs) and it's just shocked me. And like my cousin bought like four copies. I mean, so many people that I never expected, you know, I thought, oh, they'll like buy the ebook to be nice or they'll get like one copy. Multiple people have bought, have told me they purchased multiple copies to give away because they loved it. And they were so excited to share it with people. And this level of support is just something I never fathomed in it. There's no words for it. I mean, it makes me want to cry. Like, I don't know. It's really, it's cool. Like, I don't know how to thank people. And I, like on one hand, I know it's only $7.99. Like, it's not like they spent their life savings here. But at the same time, like that's $7.99. They could have gone and gotten some food or had like a couple fancy coffees or, you know, there's plenty of other things they could have done with their money and time. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't, I didn't expect the level of support and I didn't expect how good it would feel when people said something kind about what I wrote. So that has been probably my favorite part. I'm so touched by that. I mean, it feels, yeah, when people show up for you and support you around a dream and something that you you poured yourself into, right? Yeah. And it's just, it is really special. And we do, you know, once we've written the book, it really is for others. You know, you're you're giving it to others and when people show up and they want it and they love it, I mean, that, that is, that's the best gift you can get as a, as a writer. So yeah, congratulations. Thank you. Now the hardest part. (laughs) And there's probably a lot of them. I think it would be the part of it is the 70% marketing, 30% writing, like, Mm -hmm. and juggling that. And like, how do I, I don't even have time to write much less for 70% marketing, 30% writing. And so kind of juggling that and learning to just like do what I can and release Like, Mm -hmm. I'm going to do what I can. I'm going to spend an hour on it. And then I'm moving to the next thing. I had no idea how insecure I would feel releasing a book and sending it to people. And so, and it it comes and goes. And so I'll start to feel good. And then I'll do something. Like, I would say the hardest part in the release process, I sent it to some, I was like, I need to find some big names 
to read the book. And I had only had like my handful of trusty beta readers and my editors read it at this point. And they mm -hmm. had said really kind things, but at this point, like we're best friends and I don't know if I can trust them anymore, you know, <laughs> like maybe, maybe they're just saying it cause it's their job. I don't know. And so I'm sending it to like, I sent it to my friend who has the HGTV show. She's on the back of the book, Erin Napier, but she was like, she's a creative. And so like, I get a lot of inspiration from her. And so I, even though she's not a horse person, I sent it to her endorsement. And then I was trying to think of like some top horse people. I sent it to the stream horse TV CEO, Donna brothers and, um, Denny Emerson and, uh, Jimmy Wofford and one other whose name is slipping me i was going for like big time horse people who had done like the olympics i mean no big deal and who people had name rec like they wrote they were writers too and mm -hmm. that's um jimmy wofford was the one person who said no he's the one i i've like taken a lesson with him so i i didn't take it personal but he's writing his own book he was like i'm in i'm buried in edits i'm sorry good luck i can't wait you know to hear how it goes he was so kind but the week that I sent those out, I could have cried. <laughs> I could have thrown up. I could have quit right then. I mean, that was the hardest moment because it was like, not only because I hadn't sent it to ARC readers yet, like my, they were my first ARC readers. So I needed to get it to them first so that I could get their endorsement on the cover. Mm. So it was like, I couldn't move forward with my book until I had, until they read it and I had endorsements. And so I, so they're the, I'm like, not only. Like my first people are freaking famous people who I totally respect. And this is mortifying. And that was the, the hardest week. And they, I heard back from like half of them and like Donna brothers said the kindest things, which if y'all don't, for people who don't know who Donna brothers is, she's NBC's Derby correspondent, triple crown correspondent. So at the end of the Derby, she's on the horse interviewing the jockey she has like a cute little pixie cut yeah and she's adorable. Um, yeah and she was a jockey she was a big jockey before she retired but yeah so she was like she said the kindest things huge cojones to to do this I mean did you know that did, I mean you took a lesson from the one gentleman but and you know the woman from the HGTV show but you just did you know these other people or did you just send it to them <laughs> it's you know I mean for, uh, a, for a debut author like with your first collection of short stories I mean that is incredible that you that you that you had the I mean I hear yeah why you would be nervous about that but yeah, like, those right. are the sort of things that people who are going to have a lot of success do I mean you are confident enough in your work to to reach out to these big names well I don't know if I was confident I was freaking out but it was a it was just, you know, I would say my direct sales business has taught me a lot. Like mm. it's, it's a no, it's, it's a no until you ask. Like, so, you know, if I don't ask Donna brothers, how, how is she going to ever hear about my book? How am I going to ever get an endorsement? So I might as well be a no. So if I ask the worst that can happen is the answer I already have, which is a no. And so it was just kind of, it's like a close your eyes, like five seconds of bravery, like just get it over with and do it and move on with life kind of thing. Check the box put it on a list, do it, check the box and keep going. And social media has made people very accessible. And I will say I live in an area in Northern Virginia, outside of DC, there's a lot of Olympians. And so I'm no longer intimidated by like talking to Olympians because they're very accessible here. Like so many Olympic riders ride in the Middleburg area. And so that itself isn't, I'm not like cowed by 
talking to top writers anymore, but sending them my book was really hard. I, I'm impressed. I I mean, I know how that feels to release your first book and send it to the first readers. And yeah. you just you just pulled out all the stops and went all in. I mean, that's really, really impressive. And it worked out. I mean, you yeah. got yeses. I mean, that's incredible. And you got your endorsements. Yeah. I was just trying to do... I was just trying to do it right. I had a friend who she was traditionally published with her first book and the publisher told her to do this. And she, she said they didn't give her, like she had to dig up their contact information herself. And it was like her first book. And I just thought, isn't that the publisher's job? This is one reason that I was like, <laughs> I'm going indie. Isn't that the publisher's job? Like why? So, but I just remember her telling me about that. So then as I'm in the process of releasing my book, I'm like, well, Julie did it. So now it's my turn, you know? That's awesome. I mean, you're approaching this with your eyes open and your ears open and you're listening and you're absorbing and you're talking to people and you're listening to podcasts and, and you're mincing it together and making it your own kind of strategy and how you're going to approach this. I mean, you really did your homework and you set yeah. yourself up for success with this first book, which can be the first of many in a series. But now you've mentioned a memoir a couple of times. And my next yes. question is, is what are you curious about now? Now that you've got this first one in, you, you dunked your whole body in the yeah. water and tip your, you know, stick your toe in, you put your whole body in. Where are you heading? What's next? Talk, talk to us about your memoir. It's basically, it's what started the whole thing. When I was in high school and I read the Thoroughbred series, I just really got this dream to gallop racehorses. And so I finagled away to transfer to the University of Louisville my junior year of college and gallop racehorses. And within a couple weeks, literally, of being in Kentucky, I was in a horrible accident on the oh. track. And then within, I think, a week, my horse got stolen. Oh, no. It was oh. insane. And so I, I survived it all. And it really had kind of like... And when you're in the middle of it, nothing really feels like a storybook, but it really had a book ended storybook ending and got married and we moved to Virginia outside of DC. And I just really felt like God was telling me to put it in a book. And so that's how the whole author process started for me, because I never imagined being a writer. I mean, I always liked writing and stuff, but I never imagined writing my own book but that's how it started. It was just this calling to like write the story of Kentucky. And, and for me, it's a faith journey because all the action happens in the first month of me being in Kentucky. And then, but then I have two years in Kentucky after that of learning to like trust again and get back on my feet. And I went there to gallop horses on the track. And within a week, I'm have a horrible, scary accident. And so then it's about overcoming fear of, mm. you know, I moved here to Gallup, so I'm not not going to, but I might cry myself to sleep, mm. you know, like every night because <laughs> I'm scared to death, but, but I'm going to do it because I said, that's why I'm here. And so it's that, that whole process. And so the memoir, and it's, it's, it's a harder 
It's harder to write than, <laughs> than fun short stories. And it's going to be a lot deeper of a book. And it's still me, even though it's probably going to get deep, it will also be lighthearted at the same time and have lots of good warm fuzzies. I love that. I mean, you are so focused. And so I mean, I see how achievement driven you are. I mean, you, you're gonna you're making this happen. I mean, from from yeah. going to Gallup Resources to getting over that to writing your memoir to getting the books out. Yeah, I, I cannot wait to see how you continue to grow and what's next. And when that memoir comes out, I'd love to have you back on the show. I I've really enjoyed speaking with you today, Sarah. Would Thank you? you? Yeah, I mean, you're awesome. You're you're such a fun guest. Would you, and you shared so much incredible information, would you let uh, listeners know where they can find you in your books online? And I, you know, mentioned your podcast and I know you've got a great freebie short yeah. story so people can get interested in, you know, your writing and get a free taste. So let, let people know where they can find all this goodie, all these goodies. Okay. So my, I branded a while back and it's live, ride, learn. And so my website is liveridelearn.com. And if you go there, you can find a free short story called Three Horses and a Wedding. And it's a follow-up to some of the, well, the stories from the book. But even if you've never read it, it's a standalone. So you can kind of read it and see if you like it and see if it's worth going in for the book for you. And also I'm on Instagram at liveridelearn. And I have a podcast, Live, Ride, Learn, on, it's on all the major podcasting places. So basically, if you can remember Live, Ride, Learn, you can find me. And then I also have another podcast called Author Shenanigans, where twice a month I interview authors from all different genres. So if you're an avid reader, I just love reading so much and I love different genres. And so I wanted to be able to support different authors and help readers branch into new genres and find new authors for them. So if you love reading, check out the Author Shenanigans podcast. Awesome. And your book is available on Amazon. On Amazon and ebook and paperback. Yeah, and paperback. And, and the then, paperback has been super popular. I've sold, I don't know, 80% at least have been paperbacks, which blew my mind. I thought it would be the opposite. I thought it'd be like 80% ebook and it's almost all been paperbacks. People love it. That's fantastic. So, it must be that cute cover design. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> if it's the price point because I did try to keep it as low price as I could. I, I don't know. People love the paperback. So fantastic. Well, Sarah, I so enjoy talking today and I appreciate the gift of your time and I wish you so much more success. Thank you so much, Carly. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks for joining us this week on the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I hope you enjoy these Q&A sessions with wonderful equine authors who love all things horses and writing, just like me. Visit my website, carlycadecreative.com, where you can read the show notes. And make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you so much for your support. Want a free guide to secrets of horse book authors? Gallop over to carlycadecreative.com forward slash wisdom to have author advice delivered instantly to your inbox. If you are an author who writes about horses and would like to be spotlighted, please let me know. Visit my contact page at carlycadecreative.com to fill out a request. I'd be happy to have you on the show too. Thank you for tuning in to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. See you next time. I'm your host, Carly Cade. Creative writing makes my spurs jingle.